Well, good evening. Good evening. It's good to see y'all. Glad to have you with us there on Facebook, on YouTube, and on Twitter. Uh, Facebook and Twitter is HBC Tullahoma. YouTube is Highland Baptist Tullahoma. And then we have our phone live streaming. Uh, so be sure to connect with us on any of those. Uh, you can uh, heart to like to share those posts. Uh, be sure to give us a thumbs up. Subscribe there on YouTube. Click the little notification bell if you want to get uh, those notifications when we go live. Uh, and it will automatically let you know that. So uh, be sure to share that resource with other people. Uh, you'll see the number on your screen there for the phone live streaming. You can call our church office and we'll be glad to give that uh, to you. Uh, while you're uh, online there too, be sure to go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Uh, it's under the info tab tab there at HighlandBaptistChurch.com that you can download our worship bulletin. Uh, so be sure to get that downloaded. Lots of upcoming activities and events. Uh, be sure to read your bulletins. Uh, some people ask me, even my own wife sometimes. So <laughs> uh, I didn't know that was coming up. And I said, it's been in the bulletin for weeks. <laughs> it's been on the screen uh, on the announcements. So be sure to read your bulletin. There's lots of things in there. We don't read over everything in the bulletin for announcements. We just expect you to read most of that. We do highlight once in a while some of the the more important upcoming things. So uh, under the info tab too, you can download the worship bulletins for children. Those go along with the sermons for each Sunday. So be sure to get those downloaded. And then also under the info tab, there uh, is where you'll find tonight's prayer list. So be sure to get that downloaded uh, as we go over our prayer list. Uh, if you're there on Facebook and if you're not on Facebook, be sure to go over to Facebook if you want to share any uh, prayer requests. That's where we'll be looking at the live requests uh, to share those in tonight's prayer time. Uh, so you can go ahead and comment there. We'll see those as we get to the time of prayers. Uh, and then if you miss getting that to us before we finish our time of prayer, we'll check at the very end just to make sure there's none uh, so that we can share those with you at the very end. And then just as a couple of reminders too there on the info on the website, if you'll go to the far right hand side, click the online giving tab there. Uh, easy platform that you can set up your recurring gifts, one-time gifts, and even designate your gifts there uh, as well as you can get those uh, to us in person. And don't forget these connections cards. A lot of people have taken these, haven't returned them yet, uh, but be sure to get those back to us as soon as possible, uh, especially answering those questions at the bottom, the new question that's on there about would you like to receive uh, special event announcement notices so we can get you added to that list. These are in the holders on the walls. Uh, one's back here. There's one on each side uh, as you leave, and hopefully those are full. If they're not, uh, just find one of the other holders, and there are some uh, in those, and we'll get those replenished as we can continue uh, to run out of those. So uh, be sure to get that back to us. Just all you have to do is fill out one per family. And that way also it'll give us any new phone numbers you have, any new emails that you have. Some of those things change from time to time. Uh, so we need that so we can keep you up to date on the things going on. Well, we're glad to see everybody tonight. So Brother Mike, come and lead us in our song. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. Hymn number 12, Miss Pat. Great is the Lord, he's holy and just. By his power we trust in his love. Great is the Lord, he is faithful and true. By his mercy he proves he is love. Great is the Lord and worthy of glory. Great is the Lord and worthy of praise. Great is the Lord, 
Okay, as you hopefully have gotten your prayer list either downloaded, printed, or uh, some form that you have it there at home, if you're in person and you didn't get one of these, just raise your hand and I'm sure somebody will be glad to come around and give you one. We've got some on the front. I think everybody maybe got one as they come in. If somebody comes in late, uh, be sure that they uh, get one of those. Um, I, I don't have Facebook on my uh, device here to look at uh, tonight, uh, so you'll have to let me know if there's any prayer requests, those who are watching and looking there in the service tonight. Uh, let me just go over a few that I do know of uh, to share with you uh, a little bit of updates uh, with, uh, and, the, and I may, you may want to update some things, some things change from time to time, but uh, the last word we had from Beverly Daniel, she's doing uh, much better, and so we just praise the Lord for that, but just keep her in your prayers as she continues uh, to recover and goes through rehabilitation with that, uh, so keep her in your prayers. Um, also, you'll want to remember uh, Kim Saunders in, in your prayers. Uh, she has some cancer issues. Uh, Amy is still having to wear her, uh, her ankle boot, uh, and she'll have to wear that for a few more weeks, so keep her in prayer for that. Uh, Brenda Gilbert's been having some issues, uh, so we want to uplift her in prayer. Uh, it was mentioned uh, Myra Watson, and I'm sure she wouldn't mind us putting, us on, putting her on the prayer list tonight, so we just wanted to make sure to add her uh, to the list. She's, been, she's got some issues that are going on, and uh, just keep her in your prayers as, as she's going through those difficult things. And then also Kay Fox, she's going to be having surgery on September the 13th, knee replacement surgery. Uh, but Ms. Imogene, I believe, was telling me that she went yesterday for some blood work things, and they, they found some issues with some infection, and so they've given her some medicines for that. Hopefully it doesn't uh, do anything to postpone her surgery, uh, but she was having some difficulties with that news yesterday, so just keep her in your prayers, uh, Kay Fox. And then we added Cindy Jordan from last week. We didn't add this one to the prayer list because I didn't have permission yet to, to add her from the family, but just remember Susie Barton. Uh, she's been having some issues. Uh, also. Um, any others on our family list that we need to mention? We'll come back to them in just a minute if you 
miss somebody. Uh, let me just go over a few of the friends and family ones here. Uh, we mentioned this one last week. Great news report that, that Donnie Meadows uh, got a great report there. Uh, they think they've gotten everything there. He's not going to have to have uh, any more treatments there. So we just praise the Lord uh, for that. Glenn and Mary Liebig, uh, that is Linda Smith's mom and dad. Her dad is still having some ongoing issues from the COVID. Her mom is recovering and doing better. Uh, so keep, keep them both in your prayers. Uh, Linda Ray is at home recovering. Uh, Pat's not in here to let me know anymore uh, on her. Uh, and I'm assuming Libby Kine, uh, Rick Miller's mother, is still uh, in the same situation there with, with hospice. Uh, Randy Tatum, who is Ken Tatum's brother, uh, is still not doing good with his uh, cancer issues, so keep him in your prayer. And then Laura Curtis uh, is the wife of the pastor uh, at Liberty Baptist in Winchester. Uh, she's been having some ongoing issues, needed a liver transplant, uh, had an infection, though, that she has diabetes also, an infection that came up on her finger. They were talking about trying to save her, her, her hand. Uh, now they're talking about saving her arm. Uh, so keep her uh, in your prayers uh, with that family. And then Jay Barbier, we've been praying for him uh, with his cancer treatments uh, as a youth specialist of TBM of the Tennessee Baptist Mission Board. Uh, got good reports from him. He is doing much better. The last time we mentioned his update, uh, he was having struggles with some fever, uh, some extreme weakness and such. Uh, he was, he's doing much better in his most recent update uh, that he shared with us. Uh, so as you take a look there at the prayer list, uh, are there any updates you need to share with us tonight or any that we need to add to the list in here? They're tra treating it with medicine right now? Okay. All right. And so that update for those of you online is for uh, Carolyn Stone. Uh, she has diverticulitis and they're treating that with medicine. She is at home, uh, but do keep her in your prayers that that'll work uh, with her situation that she has there. Any others in here that we need to add? Any online? Okay. All right, then. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer then. I don't see any others here or any others online. Uh, be sure if you're there online, though, you can always go anytime during the service there to Facebook and share those requests. Uh, you can also send those requests to us at highlandbaptist.cafes.net or highlandbaptisttullahoma at gmail.com. Either one of those will work if you want to send them that way. Well, let's pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your glory and for your majesty and for your love and for your kindness. Thank you, Lord, for your presence with us tonight. Lord, we know that you're a holy and a righteous God, and you love us and you care for us, and you are always there to provide for our every need, even when we don't always see what you're doing, and sometimes when we don't even understand why you're doing things the way that you're doing. So, Father, I pray that as we come before you tonight into your holy presence, Lord, that we would recognize our sinfulness, whether that's any sinful actions, any sinful deeds that we've done, any thoughts that we've had, or maybe any acts of omission that we have committed where maybe you've commanded us to do something, but we've not been faithful to do those things you've told us to do and commanded us to do. 
Uh, Father, I pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for not sharing the gospel more with people around us. Forgive us, Lord, for not being the witness uh, that we should be, for opening our mouths and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. Forgive us, Lord, for not always living uh, that Christian life, the model of Christ uh, before others that, and that, how that hurts our witness. Father, I pray that uh, if there is any, any ungodly thoughts or any ungodly actions that we have committed, Lord, I pray that uh, you will help us to acknowledge the truth that we have sinned. Uh, but just as uh, John's letter tells us that we would confess our sins because you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. You've also told us in your word, Lord, that if we regard sin in our heart, in other words, if we hold on to it, that you will not hear from heaven. And Lord, we don't want anything to, to hinder our prayers with you tonight. And so we just pray, God, that you will forgive us of all of those sins as we confess them specifically to you, not just sins in general. Uh, but Father, as you bring those things into the light uh, of the truth, may we confess them uh, before you and may you forgive us and cleanse us and set us, Lord, on the path of righteousness to follow you each and every day of our lives. Uh, Father, we praise your name that you are the God of second chances and that you are a God of forgiveness. And so, Father, we pray that, that we will accept and receive that forgiveness and begin to live in the power and the truth of the gospel to be all that you have called us to be. Lord, we especially tonight uh, want our prayers to be powerful. Uh, and as we come before you, we ask, Lord, that you would hear our prayers on behalf of these individuals that we've mentioned on the prayer list, many others that are written there that we did not mention specifically, and maybe other needs that are unspoken needs that were not mentioned at all. Uh, you know our hearts, you know our lives, you know our needs, uh, you know each one of these individuals and where they are physically uh, on the spectrum for, for their health. And Father, we know that you are the great physician and that there is nothing that happens in our lives physically that is too big for you to take care of. In fact, some of the things you've allowed to happen in our lives be because you want to use it to bring glory and honor to your name. So we just pray, Lord, for healing for each one of these individuals. We pray for your touch upon them, for you to be glorified and magnified in their hearts and in their lives. And Father, we just pray that uh, you will use that healing in these individuals' lives uh, to be a witness and a testimony to the people around them, uh, to those who are believers, uh, that it would encourage them uh, in their walk with you to be closer than ever before with you, as well as to those who are unbelievers, that it would be a witness and testimony to them of your saving grace and your saving mercy. Father, we pray that uh, you will make yourself known to these people, show your power and your glory and your majesty as you bring healing to their bodies. Lord, I pray tonight that you will even speak to us as we look at the book of Revelation. May you make the word of God come alive. May it be powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And may it be used, Lord, in our hearts to encourage us uh, for the days ahead in whatever that we may face. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would uh, be with our youth who are meeting also in another part of our building.
building. Just give them a hunger, Lord, and a thirst for uh, your word and for your truth and to grow uh, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Be with our choir that will even be practicing tonight as we prepare for future songs and even for our, our Christmas music. Father, I pray that you will uh, just continue to draw us all closer to you, that out of that closeness that we have, out of the, the, the infilling and indwelling of the Holy Spirit, may that overflow out of us uh, through the very words that we sing uh, and the emotions that we express uh, through those songs. Uh, Father, I just pray that your blessings will be upon us as a church, uh, as a whole, as we continue to press forward, Lord, into all that you've called us to do to be a light in a world of darkness around us. And Father, we just pray that uh, you will keep us focused each and every day upon that task that lies before us. So bless us tonight, Lord. Uh, speak to us. Uh, give us that special blessing uh, that the book of Revelation tells us we can receive of reading your word and hearing your word and keeping your word. Help us, Lord, to do all three of those. And, and may you pour out your blessings upon us tonight in a powerful way. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 14. Chapter 14 and verse 14 is where we're going to begin uh, with our study tonight. We've looked at the Lamb and the 144,000. We've looked at uh, the messages of the three angels that came. And now we're going to see the harvest of the earth, especially as it comes out in the battle of Armageddon. And so this is the beginning of many verses we're going to look at about that great battle uh, for the battle of Armageddon. So uh, Revelation chapter 14 and verse 14 begins and says this, Then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Now, when you read that phrase in the beginning there, verse 14, then I looked and behold, that's a reminder to us as the readers, every time you see that, uh, to, to, to just slow down and listen to what's about to be told. In other words, if John were here today, he would say, stop, look, and listen. And that's essentially what we need to do. If Revelation was a movie, uh, this would be the one part that you wouldn't want to miss. Uh, this would be the time you don't want to take a bathroom break. You don't want to get a popcorn break. You, want to, you don't want to miss anything that's going to be said in each one of these verses because John was given here a sneak preview into the greatest battle to take place in the history of the world, the battle we know as the Battle of Armageddon. And this battle is going to take place in a gigantic valley in the plain of Estrelon, uh, which is, in other words, for many of us known as Megiddo. Uh, and I have some pictures here uh, of Megiddo that I want to show you uh, and, and the Valley of Armageddon. This is an image of what the city of Megiddo itself looked like in its fortress. It was a fortress that sets up, if you've ever seen like the, out in the, uh, uh, the western states like Arizona, Nevada, uh, you'll see these buttes or, or sometimes like what we have here, a plateau. 
but they'll be smaller uh, in Israel. And up on top, uh, many times, they would build a city because that was the, if you had the high ground, you, you had the, the advantage. Uh, if you look at any of the places like Masada, uh, Masada is built way up on top. You've never even uh, seen some of the history about Masada. It's way up on top of one of those kind of butte mountains. Well, Megiddo is kind of like this. And this is a view from Megiddo, the city, looking over the valley of Megiddo. Uh, it, it is bordered uh, on the north by the highlands of the lower Galilean region, uh, on the south by the Sumerian highlands, uh, and I don't know that you can make out everything on this map, but you'll see a, a kind of a brighter, darker green section uh, there. It kind of makes a shape like this, uh, and that is where uh, the, the valley is there. It's a, the, another name for that same valley that we read in the Bible is the Valley of Jezreel. The Valley of Jezreel. And we'll talk about that uh, in just a second. But it's bordered on the south by the Sumerian uh, highlands, to the west and the northwest by the Mount Carmel region, uh, and, and to the east by the Jordan Valley with Mount Gilboa uh, marking its southern extent. Uh, Megiddo, and I don't have a, I don't think I do. Does this have a pointer on it? Let's see if this other one has a pointer. Yeah, I don't think either one of these have a pointer. If it does, I'm not sure where it is. Uh, but you'll notice right here on the map, if you're here in person, if you're at home, you won't be seeing where I'm really pointing to. You'll see where it says Jezreel Valley in bright green there in the middle. Just below that is where Megiddo is. Uh, that little white writing there says uh, Megiddo. Uh, you'll notice also right above the word valley it says AKA, which means also known as, and then right below valley it says of Armageddon. So the Valley of Jezreel is the same as Armageddon. You've got the Mediterranean sea uh, to the far uh, west there uh, that borders the nation of Israel, Lebanon up to the north, Syria up to the, the northeast there. And then if you were to go down further on this map, you would go down towards Jerusalem uh, and those areas. Uh, but you've got Megiddo up uh, on the, where, where the world is. You see the image of the world uh, just up to the right of it, well, we're gone from that picture, but uh, just up from the right of it was Mount Carmel. Uh, you'll notice Mount Carmel on this image is on the right-hand side there, and uh, you'll notice this image, uh, I believe, that comes next. Yes, this is an image from Mount Carmel. Uh, Mount Carmel is uh, very important throughout the scripture, and so is this valley of Jezreel, the same place as the valley uh, of Megiddo. What is significant about the, the Jezreel Valley or the valley of Megiddo? Well, King Ahazi, uh, he died at Megiddo after being wounded uh, at Jezreel in 2 Kings 9, 27. Deborah... Uh, in the book of Judges, in Judges chapter 5, verse 19, she defeated Sisera, remember that story, uh, at Megiddo. Uh, and then 2 Kings chapter 23 and verse 29 to verse 20, uh, or, or to, to verse 30, uh, King Josiah of Judah was killed uh, at Megiddo. But Mount Carmel that you see this view from is where Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal. Uh, you remember that in the book of Kings. 
uh, of 2 Kings there. Uh, he defeated the prophets of Baal. He took them down uh, to the Kishon River, which is down in that valley. Uh, when you saw the maps there a minute ago, uh, it's down in that valley. And he killed them there. And then he ran uh, before the king Ahab to enter the valley of Jezreel where Megiddo is. This gigantic plain encompasses about 45 Thousand square miles, or 4,500 4, square miles, I should say, not 45,000, but 4,500 uh, square miles. It's one of the most majestic sites uh, in all of the land of Israel. You can see it from Mount Carmel here. You can see it from Megiddo itself in that other image that you had seen there. Uh, this valley of Megiddo was the site of some of the important uh, battles in biblical history. It was here that Gideon uh, and his small band of soldiers defeated the Midianites. Uh, it was here that King Saul was killed uh, on Mount Gilboa. Uh, it was here that King Josiah was killed by the Babylonians. Uh, Napoleon, great Napoleon, he once said, it's the world's greatest natural battlefield. Uh, and it'll be here on this natural battlefield that this supernatural battle is one day going to take place. It'll be a battle that's going to be the end of all wars. Uh, it's going to be the shot heard around the universe. And this climatic battle is going to usher in a 1,000-year period of peace known as the millennial reign. And so keep the background of this battle in mind. Keep the locations of what you've seen uh, there in mind. If you can go back to the maps that we're showing there of the... Uh, yeah, that's fine. Either one. Go back to the other one. Uh, you'll notice uh, up on the left-hand side the Sea of Galilee. So this valley runs almost from the sea with a little strip of mountains uh, in that valley at Mount Carmel. Uh, the Kishon River runs all the way through it, all the way to the Jordan River. You can see the Jordan River runs the whole length up there of the nation of Israel down to the Dead Sea. So it's a huge, wide expanse. Keep that in mind because we're going to talk about the details of that when we get to those here uh, in this Scripture and this, this place where this valley is going to be, this battle is going to be. The Antichrist, if you'll remember, is going to be dominating the entire world. He will have taken control of the whole earth. The political system uh, is going to be ruled by the beast. Uh, the religious system is going to be led by the false prophet. Uh, and then the great dragon, who is Satan himself, will be ruling the whole world. Uh, after the beginning of that period known as the tribulation, if you remember what we've already studied, he's going to sign a treaty with the nation of Israel, but in the middle of that period of time, he's going to break that treaty. And Israel is going to rebel and resist uh, the, the, the Antichrist. And so it's at that time that the Antichrist is going to gather the greatest army ever assembled of over 200 million soldiers. They're going to assemble in this great valley preparing for this final assault on the city of Jerusalem, which is God's holy city, a final attack on the land of Israel, which is God's holy land, and a final aggression on the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And so just like when it looks like all is lost, just like when it looks like that the final, fatal, full destruction of the Jewish people is going to take place, it's at that very moment that Jesus is going to return, leading the army of heaven. He's going to destroy this vast army that's going to be in this valley here of 200 million uh, that's going to be there. Uh, and then uh, he's going to come and destroy them and rescue this tiny nation. All Israel is going to be saved and Christ is going to set up his millennial kingdom. So with that background, 
kind of sit back, let the cameras roll, if you will, take a sneak peek at this battle of Armageddon. What I want you to see and John shows us uh, in these verses is first the victor of Armageddon, the victor of Armageddon. So notice what John does. Before he describes the war, he describes the winner. So notice he says again in verse 14, Then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And so uh, he, he describes, uh, the, before he ever describes the war itself, he describes the winner. Uh, before he describes even the contest, he describes the conqueror. Notice that he doesn't focus uh, at first on the battle fought on earth. First and foremost, he focuses on Jesus, who is the conqueror from heaven. That is a, a great emphasis. That, that's a great piece of information for us to, to recognize and to realize anytime you're going through prophecy. Because our tendency is to focus on all the bad things that are happening, to focus on the battle itself, when what we really need to be focused on is the victor, the conqueror, Christ himself. And, and as you think about Armageddon itself, uh, there is a great emphasis today, even today, in the news and, and even in prophecy of this climatic battle. Uh, Armageddon has even made headlines even in this last month. I don't know how much you read of, of various news sources, but uh, one news source said, uh, this was the title of their article, Nuclear Armageddon Warning, Billions to be Wiped Off Earth if Putin Holds Good on Thread. It was an article that was referencing a new study by our government that said more than 5 billion people would starve to death if there was a full-scale nuclear war between the U.S. and Russia, a horrifying new analysis had warned. Uh, all of that has taken place because of what's going on in Ukraine uh, and the threats from Russia towards us and looking at what would happen uh, there if there was to be some nuclear fallout. Another article uh, in, in uh, a place called The Hill recently said, are Russia and Iran cooking up a recipe for a red Armageddon. Uh, this is what some of that article said. Arguably, Washington, Jerusalem, Cairo, and Riyadh uh, already know the likely price. Tehran wants a free hand from Moscow in pursuing nuclear weapons, regardless of any agreements that Iran may su subsequently enter with the United States, Russia, and, and the International Atomic uh, Energy Agency, the IAEA. You hear that acronym many times on news and, and other affected parties. It went on to say, the cost to the U.S. and its allies is that Putin, wittingly or not, might be setting the table in the Middle East for a future nuclear conflagration or, and or elsewhere, including Los Angeles, New York City, or Washington, if you will, a red Armageddon. Uh, one more article, uh, and all these were in this last month. Uh, so this one said this, Russian TV warns of Armageddon at nuclear power plant and threatens to bomb London. And that's all what's going on in the Ukraine right now. Russian President Vladimir Putin's uh, largest state-controlled TV channel, the article said, uh, has put out comments from a Ukraine native who loves Putin, who warned of nuclear war in Europe. Uh, Russia's warned Armageddon could be on the horizon in a terrifying warning aired on their state TV. 
It said this, the ominous message was released after tensions uh, around the, and I can't even pronounce that, atomic power plant, uh, Zaporizhia, however you say it, uh, the one that's been in the news recently. Uh, this man by the name of Yuri Kot, who is the leader of a pro-Kremlin Ukrainian movement called Paris, uh, said this. He said, we all understand very well that Ukraine and the West are concocting a f fictional reality over this nuclear power plant. Uh, he said on this, uh, the state-run news, Channel One. He said, we are dealing with the reality. We need to tell Ukraine and its supporting countries, Britain and America foremost, and make it clear, if this nuclear plant is damaged and disaster occurs, two missiles will immediately strike your decision-making centers. One in Washington, the other in London, nuclear ones, and that's it. There won't be any more talk. Putin, it said, has boasted that his new Sarmat and Sirkon nuclear missiles are unstoppable by Western defenses. And I thought it interesting that in parenthesis uh, they put that the, the uh, other name for this missile, the Sarmat, is the Satan too. All of those articles just from the last month, uh, you could go back and look even further and see Armageddon in many news reports throughout the last decades. I, I believe that the stage though is being set and, and even now the pieces of this military puzzle are being put together. But I want to remind you that the crowning point of this prophecy and any prophecy and the ultimate goal of all world events isn't the battle of Armageddon, rather it's the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's always to be the focus. And you, you see, the, the important thing isn't where the battle is fought, uh, nor is it when the battle is going to be fought. It's not even why the battle is going to be fought. The important thing is who's going to fight the battle and who's going to win it, and his name is Jesus. The Bible's already told us the end. And so we find out in these verses that he is the legal victor. He is the legal victor. And so when he comes to wage this war, uh, in these next verses we look at as being the legal victor, we see that he'll do it as, verse 14 tells us, the son of man. Uh, that's, that's the way the King James Version refers to it as the Son of Man. Other versions refer to it as a Son of Man. But John is careful here to point out uh, this one who is coming on the clouds is the Son of Man. Uh, and so why did John not distinguish him here? Rather than as the Son of Man, why doesn't he distinguish him as the Son of God? Eighty-four times in the New Testament, the title Son of Man is used to refer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the last time that the Bible names Jesus and uses this reference to him as the Son of Man. The first time you ever read of him as the Son of Man is in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20 when Jesus said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That reference concerned his first coming. This reference that we see is referring to his second coming. On earth we saw his poverty, but now in, in Revelation here we're going to see his power. So why is it that it's the Son who comes to claim and to conquer and to control this world? Why isn't God the Father rather than God the Son coming? Well, it's because of the promise that the Father made to the Son. If you look back to John's Gospel in John chapter 5, and verse 26 and 27, it says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. He has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son 
of man. So think of it, sitting on the throne of this universe, one day to rule and to reign this entire earth is a man, but not just a good man, more than a glorified man, but rather the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who paid the price on the cross. He is the one who purchased us as believers with his blood. He is the legal victor. He is not only the legal victor, he is the regal victor. We're told that he comes with a golden crown on his head. That refers to Jesus in his royalty and in his sovereignty. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 12 tells us, and on his head are many diadems or crowns. Uh, because he's coming now as, as Revelation 19, 16 goes on to say, he's coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, he came as the suffering servant. He came as the Christ who would, who would pay the price for our sin. When he comes the second time, he's coming as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Uh, so the first time he came, he came as the victor, but now he comes, uh, first time he came as the victim, now he comes as the victor. The first time he came to crucifixion, this time he's coming to a coronation. The first time he came to receive God's judgment upon himself, now he comes to render God's judgment. The first time he came, uh, men mocked him, but now men are going to mourn him. And the first time he came, he was rejected by a rebellious world, but now he comes to rule over uh, a redeemed world. The last time he was on this earth, he left ascending on a cloud, but now he returns descending on a cloud. And the first time he came, he came to free us from the penalty of sin, but now he comes to free us from the power of sin. When King Jesus returns, the world is not going to be singing hail to the chief. They're going to be crying out all hail King Jesus. Every knee and every tribe, every tongue, every nation is going to bow before him and proclaim him as Lord. And so understand this, you may not know the when and the what and the why of this battle, but the one thing you can know is the winner. Jesus is the victor of Armageddon. We're told that before we ever read about the battle itself. So notice as we go on, we continue to read, we find out about the vision of Armageddon that John receives here, the vision of Armageddon. And that continues with verse 14 down through verse 17. So at the end of verse 14, he talks about this one who has a crown on his head, and he says, and a sh sharp sickle in his hand. Verse 15, and another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. So when, when the Lord returns, we read here that he's going to have a sharp sickle in his hand. 
the sickle is that, that curved kind of razor-like uh, instrument that, that looks kind of like a question mark. It's got a handle and then kind of curves like that. They would uh, swing it like this to cut the, the stalks of the wheat uh, and harvest the wheat. Well, interestingly, the Battle of Armageddon is described using the image of a harvest, as we read there in verse 15. In the Bible, there's two kinds of harvest. There's a harvest of joy. Uh, Jesus referred to that harvest in John chapter 4, verse 35, when he says, you do, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are already white for harvest. And, and so there where Jesus was speaking of the present age there and the age we live in today and how we're to be sowing the seed of the Word of God, knowing that seed is going to bear fruit so that we might reap a harvest of souls for the kingdom of God. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus describes himself as the sower, as the one who sows the Word of God and reaps a sure and a sweet harvest. But there's also a harvest picture of judgment. And in the, in, in, in the joy harvest, Jesus is the sower in that uh, picture. But in the judgment harvest, Jesus is pictured as the reaper. And, and so even now, uh, the trenches are being plowed, if you will, and the rows are being planted with seeds of death and doom and, and, and dissipation and dishonesty on, on an unprecedented scale than we've ever seen before. And I personally believe that the judgment harvest is almost ripe. And so often uh, when we look at the rising tide of crime around this world and we see how dark the clouds of, of evil seem to get bigger and darker and heavier, one of the things that comes to mind many times for us is why doesn't God do something? I mean, if all this evil is all around us and, and it just seems to get worse and, and even in our nation it gets worse, why doesn't God do something? Why is he waiting? Why does he allow this world to sink deeper and deeper and deeper into the quicksand of sin? God is going to wait as long as he can before he finally swings his sickle into the tares of this world and forces the world to reap the harvest of judgment. Know this, that God is not going to swing his sickle until the harvest is ripe. And the word for ripe there in verse 15 literally means dried up or withered. It would be really uh, the best way to say it would be overripe. It refers <clears throat> to fruit that is overripe, almost to the point of, of rotting even. <clears throat> I mean, think about fruit that, that, that is so ripe that, it, that if you touch it, it, it literally begins to fall apart in your hands. That's the way the word is being used here. In other words, God is going to wait until the last possible moment to swing his sickle of judgment. Now, that raises another huge question, why? And I believe the answer is found in God's Word in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, where it says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So, so think about it. <clears throat> if, if we were God... We would have brought the curtain down on this play a long time ago. 
If we had been God, uh, many of us listening even tonight would have never had a chance to receive Jesus as our Savior. And so I tell you the fact that Jesus hasn't yet come, that sickle hasn't yet swung, that the harvest hasn't yet been gathered, that's not a sign of God's weakness. It's a sign of God's patience. Thank God for his patience, that he's not willing that any should perish, that he wants that person that you've been praying for for so long to come to faith in Christ. He's wanting that person to come to faith in Christ also. But understand this, even though God is infinite, his patience is not. His patience doesn't go on forever. One day this battle is going to be fought, the harvest will be reaped, judgment will be executed, and we know that for three reasons. One reason is, is because it fulfills the prophecy of Scripture. Uh, there's many prophecies throughout Scripture, so let me share a few of those about this battle and about this judgment. Jeremiah prophesied concerning this battle in Jeremiah 51 and verse 53 where he said, Though Babylon should mount up to heaven, and though she should fortify her strong height, yet destroyers would come from me against her, declares the Lord. That's a reference to all those that are coming, that 200 million person army that's coming, uh, all those who are those destroyers that are going to come uh, against her. Uh, the prophet Joel vividly described this last great battle in Joel in chapter 3 and verse 11 through verse 16. It says, Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Same valley we talked about a while ago, valley of Jezreel, valley of Megiddo, valley of Armageddon. Uh, it's referred to in many different terms because of different locations around the valley there. Uh, and so he says, Bring up, come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle. There's that terminology from Revelation all the way back in Joel. Put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. We're going to see about that winepress here uh, in just a moment in Revelation. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. That terminology, the day of the Lord, is the terminology about the last days. He says, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. So you know when you're reading Joel, this is not something that happened back in the past. This is something that is yet to happen in the future. He says, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. And so in a vision as clear as the one that was given to John, we see that from Joel, and we also see from the prophet Zechariah, uh, who says this in Zechariah 14, verse 1 and verse 5 about this day of battle. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. 
That's very same terminology we're looking at here in Revelation. And the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On, and so get that picture. Even though Zechariah is speaking here, that's not a prophecy about what happened in the exile where half of them were taken off into the exile because it says the Lord's going to go out and fight against those nations uh, as when he sets and when he fights on a day of battle. Notice this description in verse 4. On that day his feet shall stand where? On the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall split in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other half southward. In fact, that's the descriptions we're going to read later uh, about this battle when the Lord comes and places his feet on the Mount of Olives when he returns. And so he says you in verse 5, And you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. That's the army of the Lord that is coming to fight this battle. And so it, it fulfills the prophecy of Scripture. We also see that it fulfills the parable of Jesus because Jesus told a parable which was a foreshadowing of what we read here in Revelation chapter 14. In Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 13 and verse 36, here's what he said. He left the crowds, went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the, weeds of the field. And he answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. And that, remember, we were talking about Jesus as the one pictured as the sower. Later in Revelation, he's pictured as the one reaping. He says in verse 38, The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. And so that harvest that Jesus spoke of there was about the time when God is coming in the future to cut down all the tares in the world, all of the sinners who rejected God, all of the false professors who claimed to know God but didn't really know Him, all the false prophets who distorted the truth of God. They're all going to have to face the judgment of the very God that they denied both by their words and by their life, and they're going to be separated from His presence forever. But notice it also fulfills the purpose of God. Not only do we see the Lord of the harvest in verse 14, but we see the law of the harvest in verse 15. Verse 15 again says, And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. And so the law of the harvest is simply this, what we read about in Galatians, in Galatians 6 verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever one sows or a man sows, that will he also reap. 
The world is, is now sowing the wind, but one day uh, there's going to come a time when they're going to reap the whirlwind. And this world has been given an invitation over and over and over to accept Jesus as Lord, but it continues not to. And because it doesn't, they have an appointment with Jesus as judge, and that appointment will be kept, and the verdict will be given, and the sentence will be executed. That's the vision of Armageddon. But then notice also the violence of Armageddon. Notice verse 18, that we finally now, after all this, come to the actual battle itself and the description of what happens. So verse 18 says, And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. What a vivid imagery. What powerful language here. You know, the old song that we sing, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. Some people refer to it as the battle hymn of the Republic. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the faithful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. I have seen him in the watchfires of a hundred circling camps. They have builded him an altar in the evening dews and damps. I can read his righteous sentence by the dim and flaring lamps his day is marching on he has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat he is sifting out the hearts of men where before his judgment seat oh be swift my soul to answer him be jubilant my feet our god is marching on in the beauty of the lilies Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us live to make men free while God is marching on. There's another verse that's not in our hymnals that goes on to say, Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. It is flowing through the cities, and the waste will be restored by the leading of the Spirit and their trust. 
trusting in his word, his army marches on. He is coming like the glory on the morning on the wave. He is wisdom to the mighty. He is honor to the brave. So the world shall be his footstool and the soul of wrong is slave. Our God is marching on. And you know the chorus. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. You never knew that a Georgia Bulldog fan would get a bunch of Tennessee fans to sing the theme song for the Georgia Bulldogs. At least that's the tune. They have different words. <laughs> we didn't sing Rocky Top. <laughs> Uh, but what we see here, like especially in that first verse, it got, we see God trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored, loosing the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. So from the very depths of the earth, the cry of the people can be heard as Jeremiah 8 verse 20 says, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. That's going to be the cry of the world. The bloodshed of this battle is described in verse 20. Because in those maps you saw before, from Dan to Beersheba is roughly, some versions of the Bible use the word furlongs. It's roughly 1,600 furlongs. That's about 660 feet. Uh, the English Standard Version uses the term stadia, and many other versions do also, uh, 1,600 stadia. A stadia is about 607 feet. So when you put those two figures together, it's anywhere from 180 to 200 miles. It's almost like a bowl there uh, that is that wide, uh, 180 to 200 miles. And flowing from that great valley... There's going to be a tide of human blood that we find in the description here is going to be up to the horse's bridle. How high is the horse's bridle? The bridle that's on the horse is in an average somewhere between four to six feet. It's going to be that deep, 200 miles, 180 to 200 miles wide. That's a lot of people to have to be killed for blood to be shed that much. Think about this, the world that wouldn't accept the blood of Jesus Christ for eternal life is now going to have to pour out its own blood unto eternal death. And the slaughter is going to be so great that Ezekiel prophesied that it's going to take seven years to get rid of all the weapons of warfare stored up by the nations and seven months to bury the dead. Here's what he says in, in, in Ezekiel chapter 39 and verse 8. He says, Behold, it is coming, and it will be brought about, declares the Lord God, that is the day which I have spoken. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and make fires uh, of the weapons and burn them, shields and bucklers, bow and arrows, clubs and spears, and they will make fires of them for seven years, so that they will not need to take wood out of the field or cut down any out of the forest, for they will make their fires of the weapons. 
They will seize the spoil of those who despoiled them and plunder those who plundered them, declares the Lord God. On that day, verse 11 says, I will give to Gog a place for burial in Israel, the valley of the travelers east of the sea. That's this valley we've been talking about. Uh, it, it will block the travelers for Gog and all his multitude will be buried. It will be called the valley of Haman Gog. For seven months the house of Israel will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. All the people of the land will bury them and it will bring them renown on that day that I show my glory, declares the Lord God. They will set apart men to travel through the land regularly and bury those travelers remaining on the face of the land so as to cleanse it. At the end of seven months they will make their search. And when these travel through the land and anyone sees a human bone, then he shall set up a sign by it till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Haman Gog. Hamana is also the name of the city. Thus shall they cleanse the land. Armageddon is going to be a battle so fierce, so horrible. It's going to make all the battles of the past history combined look like child's play in comparison. Go back to Revelation 9, verse 16. We're told about that army that it would number 200 million. Notice that description. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. You do the math. 200 million. Every one of them are going to be slaughtered by the sickle of the Lord. Never before has Armageddon become so possible. Because for two reasons, as we close, why Armageddon is very likely and possible even more today than ever before. First of all, because of the number of people involved. There wouldn't be any trouble today to gather an army of over 200 million. The modern military powers of today, the superpowers of today could easily raise that kind of an army. If you combine China's armies with a few other of those armies, you could easily get to that. But an even greater reason is because of the nature of the weaponry that's available today. We're not specifically told that this battle could involve nuclear weaponry, but this is certainly a distinct possibility. Zechariah says this in Zechariah 14, 12. He describes the horrible death of people in this day, saying, And this shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the peoples that wage war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot while they are stand, still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot in their mouths. That's a picture, if ever I've seen one, of nuclear fallout. It's almost like Zechariah's uh, writing with one, a pen in one hand and seeing the nuclear weapon in the other. J. Robert Oppenheimer, one of the men who helped develop the first atomic bomb, he once said, in the next war, none of us can count on having enough living to bury our dead. How prophetically true that statement might be. Now to many, this whole message may seem like a frightening message. Because it sounds so horrible and it sounds so terrible. But honestly, if you know Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you don't have anything to fear. If Armageddon was to take place tomorrow, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't have to worry about anything. That's the message tonight. That if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're watching tonight and you don't know Jesus, you need to get that settled before it's too late. And for us as believers, we've only got a short time. We're either going to die or the trumpet of the, the Lord is going to sound and He's going to call us up. And that's all the time we have to share with our friends, to share with our neighbors the good news uh, of the gospel. In the Old Testament, the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, a great annual feast of joy and jubilation, always followed the time of harvest. And immediately after the battle, when the smoke is cleared 
the last shot is fired, you're going to see Jesus on his throne, high and lifted up, and the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to fill the entire earth. Let the knowledge of the glory of the Lord fill your heart and your life tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for what we've seen tonight. And I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't get stuck in this prophetic passage so much with the battle itself and, and the fallout and the things that are going to happen there as much as, Lord, we would focus more on the coming of Jesus Christ, that he is coming at this time in judgment to help us to remember that judgment is coming. The Bible's told us it is appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. So, Father, I pray that we as believers would make sure that we're making the most of every opportunity we have to make Jesus known to the people around us. You have placed us where you have placed us, uh, brought us to where you have brought us, so that we can be a witness to the people who are in the circles uh, of our influence. Wherever it is we go, whatever it is we do, whether it's uh, to the doctor's office or whether it's to the, to the workplace or whether it's to school or wherever it might be, that we would be that witness we need to be. Lord, you've also given us this scripture as a warning tonight that the day of judgment is coming, that if we don't know Christ, we have every reason to be afraid. So help us, Lord, to trust by faith in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, to get things right with him before it's too late. Bless us, Lord, and help us to live faithfully for you in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining with us there online. We'll be back this Sunday. Uh, we'll, be on, we'll be here at uh, 9.15 for Sunday school, uh, in person for church at 10.30. So you come and join us. Uh, you have a safe week, and we'll see you this coming Sunday.